Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. I also just wasn't ready for that advice. You know, there's times you get advice and it's like the best advice, but if you're not ready to receive it or hear it, it doesn't mean anything. And it may not at all be the best advice for you because you're just not ready for it. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. You know who this is, Dr. Sekou Gathers. Today I interview Mrs. Naz Beheshti, author of Pause, Breathe, Choose, Become the CEO of Your Well-Being. Now her story is interesting. So in 1979, her and her family came to the U.S. on a vacation and the Iranian conflict was going on at that time. And because essentially things became extremely unsafe, Uh, Her and her family decided to just stay here. So she jokingly calls it the 40-year vacation. She went to college uh, at USC and studied psychology. And then upon graduation, her very first job, she was the uh, executive assistant for Mr. Steve Jobs. So we definitely talked about him and her uh, interactions with him and what she learned from him. Obviously, we talked about her book and the importance of it and how really we can take back control of our life, you know, how to become the... Uh, CEO of our own well-being, we jumped into sort of this concept called autopilot and how that really goes against us as humans and what tools and techniques that we can use to sort of go against it. If you wonder what autopilot is, got to listen to the interview. <laughs> and one of the last things we talked about was uh, work and specifically how health and well-being has, has is something that has been coming to the forefront in the last few years, especially with covid in terms of a focal point for employers and some things that you can do to improve your health while at work and also outside of work. And then we jump into first impressions and uh, then, you know, we close it out. But great interview. Take a listen. If you want to learn how to be the CEO of your own well-being to control your own life, I think this is going to be a good one for you. Close your eyes and open your ears. Let's do it. Good people, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and today I am talking to Mrs. Naz Beheshti. Hey, Naz, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Did I uh, butcher or or say the last name correctly? <laughs> no, you were great. <laughs> okay, great. Listen, having grown grown up with a um, unusual first name, I know how important that is. So listen, let's jump right into your truth prescription. You have a very interesting backstory. I've heard you describe it in terms of when you first got to this country that you you guys took a, a vacation that lasted 40 years <laughs> coming from, from Iraq in 1979. 
But from that time until now, and all the work you've done, the book that you've just published, uh, Pause, Breathe, Choose, Be the CEO of Your Own Wellbeing, tell us if there's something in your life that you can identify that was maybe a truth, something that's true, that you were either ignoring or just weren't aware of, right? And once you accepted it, that it created a, a breakthrough for you in your life and in your career. Sure. So just one note is we came from Iran, not Iraq during the revolution. So that's kind of how we ended up in the indefinite vacation because the revolution was taking place and in Iran. And so we, we left for vacation and the revolution was ongoing and it wasn't safe to go back. So we ended up staying in San Francisco. So here we are still on that indefinite vacation <laughs> with us. 40 plus years later. And um, yeah, so to answer your question about the, you know, what my truth, the truth that I ignored for so long, it was basically my mother giving me the best advice I've ever received from anyone or heard. And I was dismissive of it because I felt I didn't have the time. So she got into, and the, the, what the advice was, was that she felt that I should meditate. I was really stressed out and burnt out at work. I was working in corporate America for over a decade in high pressure jobs in large companies to small startups. And I just was exhausted. And it was not an environment where at back in the day that employees were supported by the companies. There were no, not very, it wasn't very common to have like employee wellness programs or ways to support your employees to manage their stress and give them the tools and the support needed, which is actually how I started, you know, one of the inspirations of why I started Prana Nas, my corporate wellness company. But back to the to the meditation advice, my mother would see me really exhausted. She could see it in my face. And I was also didn't have as much time to see my family when I used to go visit them, you know, once a week it was ending up to be once every other week. And then sometimes twice a month, because I just didn't have time to get down to see them. I also just wasn't ready for that advice. You know, there's times you get advice and it's like the best advice, but if you're not ready to receive it or hear it, it doesn't mean anything. And it may not at all be the best advice for you because you're just not ready for it. So I wasn't ready for it. And I, and I was kind of naive by saying, I just don't have the time. And she would tell me because the meditation she did was TM transcendental meditation, which is two 20 minute sessions a day. And I said, I already don't have time. How am I going to make 40 minutes more time in my day to sit there and do nothing? She responded by, it's going to give you more time because you're going to be more energized and productive. And I just kind of was dismissive of it for 10 years. I was dismissive of it. I just was not ready. And then 10 years later, I was, I found myself in Antarctica on a vacation. And just like, I remember just on this big expedition boat, looking up at the majestic mountaintops and looking at just how beautiful the scenery was and just feeling so present and just in the moment and taking it all in. In my mind, that was a sense of meditation or something different that I felt that I realized that, hey, maybe I am ready for a calm pause in my day, like what I'm feeling right now when I was on that expedition. And 
I came home from that trip back in 2010, it was, and I told my mom, I'm ready to start meditating. And she quickly enrolled me and got me initiated in TM. She was so excited, mm-hmm. you know, better, better late than never, you yes. know, and <laughs> got initiated. And within few weeks, literally, I think it was two or three weeks um, of doing it twice a day, 20 minutes, people very close to me, my family, my friends would notice the big shift in me. And they, I didn't tell everyone I was doing it, but you know, some people knew, some people didn't, the people who didn't know were like, you've changed. What are you doing? You're so much calmer and at peace. I I feel a difference in you. Have you, are you doing something? What's going on? And I would tell them I'm meditating. I just started. So for them to see such a shift and for me to feel it and for others to notice it, And so quickly, it was just life-changing. And so I've kept that practice up since then. And it literally has changed my life completely because I used to be more stressed. I used to be more reactive to situations, people, and things when I would get upset. And now with my meditation practice, I mean, I'm still human. Sometimes I do, but not as bad as I would have if I didn't meditate or I, I use my own pause, breathe, choose method which I take a pause and and take conscious breaths, which is a really mini meditation. And then I'm better equipped to choose how I want to respond, not react more wisely and to choose to make better choices. So meditation with my PBC pause, breathe, choose method, which I named my book after has really transformed my life and has helped my clients as well. There's a couple of things I want to say. A lot of people don't know that the transcendental meditation was practiced and it's probably still practiced heavily by Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> and that, early in his career. And that sort of created a, a similar shift that you're describing for him and helped him to become more successful after doing the, the bodybuilding and obviously became the governor of California, et cetera. One thing I think is important, too, and folks that listen to the show and, and you probably also know this, I'm a, a mind body wellness coach. You know, sometimes when you take that that breath. First of all, meditation practice is extremely important, but also what you're talking about is not when you're in your the quiet of your uh, home doing your meditation practice, when you're out in the world and getting assaulted by other people who are not practicing meditation, <laughs> right? How do you react or how do you act? And, you know, with PBC, one thing I like is it's pause, breathe, choose, but sometimes the choice is actually to do nothing. Sometimes the choice is not to say or do something. And I think that is equally as important to, you know, sometimes we have these impulses because we need to either lash out or lash back. The best thing is maybe just to wait or just turn around or just nod. You know what I mean? So that's super critical. (laughs) I would find myself in heated debates or conversations, arguments before I started meditating. And of course, my natural reaction was to react and be explosive right at that time. After meditation, it was pause, breathe, actually walk away. Because if I actually stayed, it was hard for me to respond right away being so heated, you know, and and angry, because maybe I would still say something I would regret. Maybe I would raise my voice, but maybe I would some some words would come out that weren't, you know, the best choice at the time because I was like emotionally charged. So walking away or as you said, doing nothing in that moment is much better. Like it's you're not gonna regret not doing anything or walking away over maybe saying something in the heat of the moment that you would back on and regret. Yeah, it's it's so interesting how 
it's so easy, not easy, but it's so difficult to build something and so easy to destroy it, right? It may take 10 months to build a, a, a home and then you can be destroyed in a fire in a few hours. And the same thing with relationships or with anything, you know, you can spend so much time building something and then in the, in the heat of a moment, just like destroy it. And so that's why your technique is so important for folks because they really need to ponder, how is this really going to, you know, like you said, make that choice? How's this really going to affect me long term? So let's talk about the book a little bit, Becoming the CEO of Your Well-Being. What are you most proud of about this book? You know, and, and how do you think folks can really achieve becoming the CEO of their own you know, well-being? Well, I'm most proud that I finally was able to put all my teachings of over a decade into a book, into my method, like put out my method for other people who are not necessarily, you know, my clients to also get a taste of what it would be like to work with me and or to actually implement themselves, even if they don't work with me, at least they they can start shifting their own lives and choosing to become empowered and become the CEO of your well-being. So it's really truly about taking empowered action. And what I'm proud about is that I've I've included 80 over 80 uh, proven tools and strategies within the book of how to take action. Like a lot of books are great and they're inspiring and you walk away like that was a good book and maybe take one or two things that you learn out of it. But my book is has so much packed in there. And at the end of each chapter, they're like in bullets. So it's not buried in there. It's easily accessible. Some people like use it as even a workbook that they could go back and refer to it and and um, take pieces. I mean, I don't ever encourage anyone to go implement all 80 at once. That's overwhelming, <laughs> <and stressful. laughs> you know. And not sustainable, but just like pick a couple. And then once you build on that, you know, once you have created new habits for those then start building upon those, right? But I give many people options, right? And not every single one of those is going to work maybe for every single person because we're all different. So what I like to do is give people options and have people experiment with different things and what sticks for them, great. And then, you know, they know then what works for them and then they can pick other things, right? From the book. And so that's what I really, I would say I'm most proud of is to get it in the hands of more people. So more people can hopefully take empowered action, become the CEO of their well-being, and just have and be more conscious, live a more conscious, mindful life and make better choices. And if we all do that, if everyone in the world did that, like you said, having those heated conversations or miscommunications or whatever the case, everyone would be responding more effectively, more, you know, wisely and relationships and health in general would be improved, enhanced, and just the world would be a better place if everybody was practicing healthy habits for themselves and each other. Yeah, it's it's a lot. We're talking earlier about conflict. Well, you just talked about, you know, having having heated discussions and it's not the the person's the the, the true essence of the, the person themselves having an argument. It's their egos having an argument, right? It's like every argument is really about I'm a victim of you because of this, and I'm going to prove it to you. And then the other person feels the same way. And so, so it's like, but to your point, if you take a breath or take a few breaths, or you have a meditation practice, and you can like really look at the thing globally. I find a lot of times people can actually like take a little bit of responsibility. Like you know what, you may have a point, but 
I also can see where I may have contributed to this and let's work together to, to make a better solution. What we're saying for people that are listening is extremely high level and it takes a very long time to practice and be able to actually do this. But it's something to think about. You read her book, you get into a meditation practice, it will definitely improve your life. Now, let's talk about corporate America a little bit, because I know your company, Prananaz, works with companies really around this idea of, of well-being. And, and to your point, you were in, in a situation once where you didn't have any place that you can go to or anyone you could talk to that would help you in your corporate job to practice well-being. So based on your work, what do you think is ailing corporate America currently, right? What dysfunction are you seeing at companies from the CEO suite down to, we'll say, just the salaried employee? Well, if you had asked me this question 10 years ago or more, like when I was first starting my company, it would be a completely different answer. Because back then, it was that employee well-being programs were considered a luxury, not a necessity. And only some companies, the large companies that have the funds to just check mark the box to say, oh, we're, we have an extra perk for employees, they were doing it, the bigger companies. Now, though, they've come a long way. And and companies and business, you know, savvy business leaders realize that employee well-being is no longer a luxury. It is a necessity, and it's also a way to attract and retain top talent. And so, most companies, big, medium, and small, have something. Now, the problem with that is that not all corporate wellness programs are created equally. Right? There's no like gold standard of how they should be implemented, run, what should be included. So like one company might be like, oh yeah, we have an employee wellness program. We have a yoga instructor come in once a week and, and there's a yoga class people could drop in. That's their employee wellness program. Or like we subsidize a gym membership. Like that's nice if people take advantage of it. But what I have found, and, and we are, corporations are coming around now, but the biggest thing, and this is what my whole method and book and practice is based on, is that Wellness is a holistic concept. It's looking at the person's whole being, not just like to this day, I have to tell you, when I say I'm an executive wellness coach or corporate, I say the word corporate wellness or employee well-being, immediately people think either I'm a nutritionist or a fitness instructor. <laughs> That's immediately, they just think of that. And I'm like, no, it's so much more. In fact, my bread and butter, my biggest like, workshop and what I coach on is about stress management, about building resilience, about mindfulness. It's more about mental well-being. One of the silver linings of the pandemic has been that the companies have woken up to mental well-being. It's no longer only fitness or nutrition. That's what everybody thinks. Like, no, you don't just eat some more broccoli and, and do some exercise and you're well. No, it's not about that. It's it's about your relationships, like what you, you know, choose to focus your energy on. Like, what are you thinking about? What's your self-talk like, you know, your internal self-talk and, and so much more, you know, like, are you passionate at work? Like, it's just so much more than just what you eat and how you move your body. Although those are also part of it and important. So I'm not dismissing those two things, but that's just two pieces of a larger pie that people need to incorporate into their life. So I'll ask the question differently. Are you seeing a pattern or something in corporate America in your the clients or companies that you work with 
from the C-suite down to the salaried employee that you you feel like, oh, th- th- this is kind of a pattern here in, in all people that I'm sort of been been helping them to overcome? Seeing it as a holistic approach, they need to include mental well-being, like coaching, therapists, high level. So I coach executives and leaders, and I, especially during the pandemic and how work and life boundaries and just, you know, entities got blurred, I would coach them on asking them about how they're doing, not just at work, but just like, how are they, you know, and, and just bringing the personal element and becoming more compassionate, you know, uh, as leaders, not just compartmentalizing, we're no longer able and like with hybrid work and virtual work, you know, exclusively virtual work, there's no more like compartmentalizing work in life. And I actually, people are still using the work-life balance term, whereas I, I, I say work-life engagement to be engaged in both work and life or work-life integration? How do we integrate them both and be in healthy way rather than balancing the two? Because they're not two ends of a spectrum and they're not equally distributed, right? In terms of time. That's a pattern that I see is that we need to consider the person as a whole, not just like, how are you doing at work? How could I support you at work? What's going on? You know, what are some of your challenges? Because I always explain that if they're having challenges personally at home or whatever it may be, that's going to bleed into their work life. So if they care, if the you know managers, supervisors care about their performance and productivity and their business, they need to make sure that their employees are happy, healthy, and well in all areas of their life. Because most people, I mean, men can do it better than women, generally speaking, but why should we compartmentalize? Like we are whole beings. So if we're stressed at home, that's going to come to work. If we're stressed at work, that we're going to bring that to our relationship. And our spouse isn't going to be too happy with us if we're like more irritable or exhausted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. It's all absolutely. interconnected. Yeah, I get that. And that's it's an extremely important point you're making that over the last few years that there needs to be a better integration of those two sides and a holistic view of the employee. I guess what I was asking is, you're, are you seeing more depression? Are you seeing more anxiety? Are you seeing? Oh, more, like, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Are you seeing <laughs> more, more stress? Okay. More stress, more burnout, more anxiety. Absolutely. Absolutely. All of that. And that, that is why my focus is on stress management because people need that most. So yes, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't. I wasn't no, getting no, your. <laughs> all good. All good. I mean, out of that, uh, we got a lot of good juice. <laughs> so I, I want to ask you about this last question before we move to the last section. Um, I think I got this from your Instagram, but it was a. It's a quote by Carl Young, and I think it's important. And it, it, the quote is: "One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious." I want you to talk a little bit about that. And what what your thought process is there? And then I'll give my take on it. The way I look at it is that we all have our own shadows and darkness, and we can only see the light when we see the darkness. Those two things have to, to, they go hand in hand. But if we are conscious of our darkness, then we don't need to label it or consider it as something that is a negative. Like we can address it. We can be mindful of how we respond to it, how we behave, the actions that we take, 
all of that. So I think it, everything stems from mindfulness. Again, that's a big part of my work in life. And so if we are conscious of our darkness, then we have the power. It's like awareness, being aware is a first step. Being aware of our darkness is then, you know, something that we can either choose to accept if that's what we want to do or improve upon or change, you know, it's up to us. And with that darkness comes light, depending on, you know, how you frame and view things. It's a really important point. When I saw it on your, on your Instagram, I said, this is great because the way I think about it, it, and you know, obviously when I'm working with clients, it's like, it's like having a a broken arm, but pretending your arm's not broken. (laughs) You know, it's like, you're like, no, my, I don't feel this pain. I'm just going to focus on the clouds and the, and the light and the stars and the bubble. And I think a lot of times when we first start doing personal development, you know, it's great. We start meditating, we start feeling great things. And if you don't really be very almost technical with, you know what, I actually may have some anger issues or I'm, I'm actually short with people or I can communicate. If you don't, if you're not really clear about those dark areas then you could just become like, a, you know, uh, almost like an enlightened, angry person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're enlightened when you're enlightened, but anytime there's a trigger, then you turn into the Tasmanian devil. And I'm sure you see it in your work too, but for people that's listening, just know that it, it, in order to really, really do real work, you got to really look at those areas in your life, because if you don't, they're going to be there. And you can drive a, a a Lamborghini. It's a beautiful car. But if you if you can't drive, then you're going to wreck it. Or what I call like, you know, if really they're blind spots, right? So yes. even that yeah. Lamborghini, there's that blind spot. You don't see, you know, that other car or your own darkness. That's called the blind spot, right? And then you're going to crash. Yeah, you're <laughs> uh, crash. Basically, literally, figuratively, right? And it just, I think it it takes bravery. It takes, you know, you had that great experience when you went to Iceland. Everybody has that moment in their life where they're like, you know what, if I'm honest, then there's some things I need to change. And it's at those moments that we can, those inflection points that we can actually do something about it, but it always starts with being honest with ourselves and telling the truth, which is what this show is about. (laughs) So, all right, let's jump into our last section here called First Impressions. I'm going to say a word or a phrase, and you're going to tell me what's the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. Number one, meditation. Life-changing. Number two, Steve Jobs. Amazing visionary. Number three, fear. Um, God, so many things are coming. The first <laughs> is li- limiting, a limiting belief. Number four, big pharma. Ooh, <laughs> good and bad. I'm going to just because <laughs> there are some good and there's yeah. a lot of bad as well. Yes. Number five, health. The most is greatest wealth. Number six, money. Comfort. Number seven, San Francisco. Well, it was my favorite city and then that changed. So <laughs> <laughs> second favorite city. Uh, no, it's lower on the list now, maybe fourth or fifth. (laughs) What's your favorite city? Well, in the U.S., New York, outside Paris. Paris, beautiful. And the last one, number eight, heart. Luca, my son. Luca, okay. 
Beautiful. Well, that is all I have today, Naz. Thank you so much for joining us on TTP. Really appreciate your input. Yeah, thank you. It was fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Actually, tell the people how they can connect with you, find out more about your book and more about your corporate wellness programs. My book can be found on Amazon and all major retailers in all formats on Amazon. And then also you can find me on my website, nasbaheshti.com, as well as my corporate wellness company website, prananas.com. I'm also on all social media as nasbaheshti and then Facebook, nasbaheshti speaker, but everything else is just nasbaheshti. Nas Bashti. Excellent. Got it. I didn't mention this during the interview, but I love the name Prana Nas. It's just so, it's just something about it. It's just so, it's just, it's electric. It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, good people. I'm going to sign off as I always do that the truth will set you free if you let it.